Welcome everyone, we're about to begin with Hashem Shalom Bayashir number 251. We're in the middle of having a discussion from John Gottman's uh, book, a chapter on two kinds of marital, marital conflict, perpetual problems and solvable problems, and how to tell the difference between the two. And very often, it's not clear. And one way to identify whether a problem is solvable is that it seems less painful, less gut-wrenching, less intense than the perpetual gridlock-type problems. And that's because you argue, when you argue over a solvable problem, your focus is on a particular dilemma or in a particular situation that uh, has no real underlying conflict behind it. So, for example, for years, a wife has been arguing with her husband that he drives too fast. And the husband always tells her the same thing. What does he say? I never got into an accident. He's an assertive driver, but he's not an aggressive driver. She ends up yelling that he's selfish and doesn't care that his speeding scares her. He responds back, no, your real problem is you don't trust me. And every time they have this squabble, this disagreement, they get more frustrated, more hurt, more entrenched in their positions. And they vilify each other on both sides. So for this couple, it's clear that speeding, his speeding, is a perpetual problem that will probably never, ever fully resolve. Now, is that mamish true? Not necessarily. A husband could have contemplation, and with Yishavadas, we have a tyra, and could work on his midas, and come to a point where he says to himself, that every time I'm in the car, I'm not going to speed because I don't want to upset my wife, even though I'm responsible in my driving. Or I'll capone him at the very least. Every time I'm with my wife in the car, I won't speed, not to aggravate her. They could work on that. But overall, this seems to be, in most cases, a perpetual problem. He will speed, although he's not an, uh, uh, he's not an uh, irresponsible driver. He has some caution. It's just that he, he's just quicker. Uh, and uh, she won't see it that way. There are, it's really behind the speeding really here is a trust issue or security and things like that. And um, But for other couples, driving you know, speeds are a solvable problem. You know, it, let's say every morning they commute together uh, from their suburban home to, to the city, okay? She thinks he drives too fast. He says he has to speed because she takes too long to get ready and he doesn't want to be late for work. And then the wife says it takes long because she he showers first and takes forever. And he leaves the breakfast dishes on the table. And uh, while she's busy washing up, he's honking the horn for her to hurry. And so on. So that is a solvable problem. It's situational. It occurs only when they're driving to work. It doesn't reverberate in other areas of their life. It's a specific situation where they have to commute together to go to the city to work. So in the previous case, where they cursed each other out, and it's obvious that the speeding issue is more underlying the idea of you being selfish, you don't trust me, 
in the case we just described, it's simply they're arguing about the technical aspects of their morning routine. And that's easier to work out a compromise. They can figure out a way. In other words, if the if the if the speeding in when they're commuting together is because of those situations of being late for work or back and forth, they could work between themselves, their morning schedule, their pattern, in a way that could avoid it. Either the setting the alarm 15 minutes earlier or let her hear her. She should shower first before him because she takes quicker or he'll remember to deal with the dishes himself. Whatever the case is, they could work it out where that speeding is not necessary. So these are different scenarios of marital conflict. And you basically need to sort of figure out. And he has exercises, which we're not going to get into now. But you basically need to understand when you're having relationships with your husband, with your wife, and the conflicts there, to see which are perpetual problems, which has its own way of resolving itself, by the way, and which ones are solvable problems. Again, going back to what we said before, perpetual problems does not mean it's a bad marriage, Khalila. Every couple has perpetual problems, meaning problems that they can't fully resolve because of core differences in the natures between the husband and the wife. And that's okay. You just have to learn not to get gridlocked with it, learn to develop a sense of humor about it, learn to navigate around it in good nature, and you'll have a beautiful marriage. But at the same time, if there are many situations and conflicts that are easily solvable, or even if not so easily solvable, but they are solvable, you could work towards solving those problems. So, as an example, um, we're just going to go through a few of them here. And um, just to give an example, and and then you could understand in your life situation. That basically, that when you see that it's a perpetual problem, you handle it one way. And when it's a solvable problem, you handle it another way. So, here is an example of a solvable problem. Solve a problem is that a husband and wife agree that it's the husband's job to take out the kitchen garbage every evening after supper. But lately, the husband was so distracted by a big deadline at work that he forgets. So either the wife ends up throwing out the garbage herself, or the garbage just sits there for the next day and it accumulates, and then the kitchen starts smelling like a city dump. And the wife is extremely angry. This is a solvable problem. Because the reason why the husband stopped taking out the garbage only recently, he did it, number one, only recently, and number two, it's a specific reason that does not really affect the relationship dynamic. He's under a defined, clear stress at work that he defined what it was. So the problem could be resolved in many ways. Either he could put up, they could put up a sign to remind him, because he really doesn't mind. He's under a lot of stress, but if he would remember, he'd take it out. It's not like he's on strike. He came home, he's very stressed. He forgot the last few times because he's very preoccupied in his mind because he's very worried or nervous about work. But it's not Lahachis. 
So he puts up a sign or a reminder. He'll take it out himself. Or they'll alternate. You know, or the wife will say, you know something? This deadline is is only a few days away. I'll take out the garbage for the next few days. And then once those few days are over, he goes back to it. So that's a solvable problem. Here's another problem. That's that's more perpetual. The wife wants to spend less time with her husband and more time with her friends. And the husband says that makes him feel lonely and abandoned. And the wife says, I need time away from you. You're very needy and I feel suffocated. I need some time separate from you as well. I love you, but it's it's overwhelming. So this is more a perpetual problem. It's a more of a core difference between them in their personalities, in the way they feel need each other, like we talked about in the past, about a distancer and a pursuer, where one needs uh, to connect with the one and the other one needs more of their space. And the way you handle this is not by trying to change one another, but to navigate and work through it. So those are just a few examples. And he brings other examples. And it's very important to be able to try to learn how to identify it. Because once you learn how to identify it, then you know a correct way how to handle it. Now, there's various keys on how to manage conflicts that he's going to discuss later, whether it's a perpetual problem or it's a solvable problem. And you could use this ATSA for both. And one of those things is to understand that although it's stressful to listen to your wife or husband being negative about you, but if you hop for a minute and you take a moment and realize they're in pain, So I'm going to stop and I'm going to listen. And this is not an easy thing to do. Again, what we're saying here is not an easy thing to do, but it heals a marriage and it makes a marriage great. But you live in a certain discomfort for that 60 seconds or five minutes when this is happening. For example, if your wife or husband expresses anger towards you and sadness or disappointment or or fear, whatever it is, and it's directed at you, meaning you're the cause of that in her mind or his mind. It's so easy for you hearing this to just tune out or get defensive. It's very difficult to say, I'm going to stop and I'm going to listen, really listen, and be attuned to hear what your wife is saying when she's upset at you, or to hear what your husband is saying when he's upset at you. And listen, even though it's hard to listen. They may say a harsh word that you didn't appreciate or they shouldn't have said, but you're going to listen to the gist of what they're trying to say. And one of the goals of the book, of this John Gottman book, and of the Shiurim, frankly, is to try to guide myself included 
yours truly, of to allow each other, husband and wife, to listen without feeling attacked. So the message gets through in a way that encourages healing rather than hurt. And it will hurt because you're discussing a criticism, something that's really bothering you, but it won't hurt to the extent that it'll cause damage, but it will encourage healing. So that's the number one key to managing conflict, to learn that skill, to learn that skill of no matter how upset or angry or sad your wife or husband is towards you and it's about you, you say you're in pain, the world stops now, I'm here for you, I'm going to listen to what you have to say, and you may not agree with everything, and some words may not come out right, and it may, you may feel hurt a little bit, or a lot for that matter, but you listen through it, you understand where it's coming from. That's a big skill that causes tremendous amount of healing subsequently. Another way to manage conflict is to realize no one is fully right. There's no absolute reality in a marital conflict. It's two subjective opinions, generally speaking. And that makes no difference whether this disagreement is a solvable one or a perpetual one. Um, <laughs> he has a guy, you know, there's a saying in the, in the Christian world about immaculate conception. So he had a friend that said there's no immaculate perception, meaning no one has a perfect perception of things. No one is fully right. And that's a real key in understanding conflict, when you understand that you are not 100% right about anything. There's always another side. Acceptance is crucial. You need to accept what the other person is saying, what he understands, what she respects, what she accepts. When you feel criticized or disliked or unappreciated, you're not going to change. You feel like you're under attack and you're not going to change. So you need to learn how to express your acceptance to the other and that's how the other will change. Children with chinuch, it works the same way too. You need to acknowledge and validate uh, them. And you focus on fondness and admiration. We talked about this. Uh, it's, it was one of it was principle number two, actually, of this book. But that's a big key in resolving conflicts. Even if it's hard for you to understand your husband's point of view or your wife's point of view, but you still show that fondness and admiration. It's a central key of remaining happily mar- married, even if they are real conflicts, and even what we called in the last two shiurim perpetual conflicts, where it's not resolvable and not easily resolvable. But when you zoom in in the language of fondness and aberration, it could overcome almost everything. And that's so important. It's so, so important. And um, so on and so forth. So, for example, this is an interesting one. It's a sort of humorous. Um, 
when, let's say, a husband and wife had to get to an airport, wife will tell the husband that the plane uh, left 30 minutes sooner than the actual takeoff time. And they laugh about it. Basically, you basically the the mishigasin that you're aware of of one another. You could use it to make yourself crazy and blow up, or you could use it with a sense of humor and laugh about it and express fondness and admiration for one another, despite that real difference that you both have, and that requires sometimes a forgiveness. Not to hold grudges. And in those cases, the marriage can thrive and be beautiful. So in the past two shiurim, one of the main real strong nakudais here is, is that even if you look at your marriage and the differences and you see that some of these problems are solvable, but some of these problems, even if it's more than 50% of it, or in his case, 69% of it, or whatever it is, that are what he calls perpetual, meaning that they seem that they won't have a solution. You could be extremely happily married, despite that fact. And sometimes because of that fact, if you know how to navigate with it, with a certain acceptance, with a certain recognition of Ashkacha Pratis, of Amunana Kaddish Baruch that he wants you to work with this, learning how to manage conflict in a better way, to be accepting of one another, to express fondness and appreciation of one another, sense of humor, and so on and so forth. Um, we will continue, Metzeshem, talking about principle number five that talks about how to solve solvable problems. But the key in these two past year that we just did, yes, yesterday's and today's, is to learn and understand the differences between the perpetual and solvable problems and realize that there's ways to handle both. And do not say that because you don't see solutions to particular conflicts, that means the marriage is doomed for failure or, or friction. Not so. You see people that even if they have 50 to 60 to 70% of what he calls perpetual problems, they can have beautiful, thriving, healthy, and wonderful marriages. Have a wonderful day.